Hey Houston, for a limited time at VisionWorks, you can get two complete pairs of glasses, frames, lenses, the works for just $49 on single vision glasses and $89 on progressives. And that's a good deal, but we offer that pricing on over 500 frames, which makes it a great deal. Right now, buy two complete pairs of single vision glasses for just $49 or two pairs of progressives for only $89. VisionWorks, we're here to help you. Some restrictions apply. See store for details. Offer expires November 10th. Blog Talk Radio. Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Who are the unstoppable ones? Is it just that they can do it and I can't? Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. Mission Unstoppable. You did say unstoppable, right? Yeah. You did say unstoppable, right? What is it they know that I don't? Coach Frankie Picasso takes you on the mission unstoppable. Can anyone stop these people? Good evening. This is the Unstoppable Coach, Frankie Picasso, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. We're part of the Coach of the Airways family of coaches, where we're changing the planet one show at a time. Today is Tuesday, March the 4th, and we're looking at 10 o'clock in New York, 7 o'clock in Los Angeles. Now, before I introduce my guest to you, I would like to take a moment to thank the good folks here at Blog Talk Radio for allowing us to broadcast over their network. Tonight, you are in for a real treat. You are going to meet a man who could be the poster child for Mission Unstoppable. His resume says he's a life enhancement speaker and writer with over 30 years of experience in self-help and personal growth industry. They say he has been trained in five different disciplines of psychology. He is a pioneer in the e-landscape, one of the first online broadcasters. To date, he has had over 700 interviews under his belt, famous authors and individuals I know that you would know by name, many from within the self-help, personal, and social transformation genres. He is also a cancer survivor with humor, body, and mind still intact. Now at this point, some folks might sit back on their laurels and say, I've done a good job. Maybe it's time to hang up the proverbial hat and go fishing. But not this man. My guest this evening shares a common trait with those who have found the meaning of their life, those who have found their purpose, and I will share that secret with you in a moment. But first, let me introduce to you the unstoppable Mr. Alan Hunkin. Good evening, Alan, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable. Oh, man, I'll tell you, I would listen to me based upon that introduction. (laughs) I think we should. I think we should. Now, before we speak about all the famous people that you know and what you were doing taking calls from Oprah and Deepak Chopra and Joe Vitale this week, I want to know something. But first, I want to invite anybody who is listening to give us a call if you want to talk to Alan. Please give us a shout at 646-595-3741. And I'm just going to double check. Is that the right phone number? Because <laughs> I gave Alan the wrong number a few minutes ago. Yes, it is. 646-595-3741. The lines are open. The chat window is open as well. So you can join us in there if you're a little shy, you don't want to talk on air. That's okay. You can go in the chat window. Now, Alan, I have to ask you, what do you mean by have an elegant life? Well, I guess the simple definition of an elegant life is one that works. Uh, and uh, that would, when upon close investigation, probably not, uh, you know, it's not a high percentage of people. And, uh, but there are other things that add up to that. But it's the best way I've ever found to describe it is, you know, you used to watch those old movies where they had the ballroom dancing. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, this great hall and the music, the orchestra was playing, and you had a handsome gentleman and a beautiful woman in a long flowing gown. And then everybody moved to the music in this grand waltz. Well, I think that's what that's the easy way to describe an elegant life. It works, it flows, it moves with everything else. It seems like it's effortless it seems like you don't have to put a whole bunch of energy into it and uh and uh there's ease ease mm-hmm. i suppose i like that and i love those old movies 
love I love them. I want to be them. They got such beautiful gowns and all these satins and furs and all this lovely, lovely stuff. Now you have a major world project that is near and dear to you, and one that has taken you years to get off the ground. Yet somehow, like good wine, I guess it needed to age so that technology, creativity, finances, audience, all of that came into into alignment and is ready to go. Uh, it's called From Fire to Light, and I know that you've been promoting it on, on Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about it, please? Well, actually, From Fire to Light, I haven't been working on it for all that long, I guess a couple of years. Uh, but uh, a full year and a half of that was spent arguing with myself on whether I would do it or not. <laughs> um, From Fire to Light was an originally a screenplay that I wrote in 1992 while I was recovering from cancer. And it was one of those things that when I finished it, I knew it had a lot of high energy around it. because, And that was proven, and that was proven out because I made one phone call, Mm -hmm. and it went to Hollywood and was read by Tom Cruise and his team. Wow. So I only 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 ever made one phone call. That's all you needed. <laughs> and that was it. That was all you needed, right? Most people say, oh, you know, it's going to be thousands of phone calls. And I, well, I didn't buy into that. But more importantly, that term, although I never went on to become a, you know, to pursue a, a career in screenwriting, I that term kept rolling around in my head and, and, I knew it was something. It it signified something for me. So I gradually came to to know that it it really is the a very elegant way of describing the journey that we are all on. Namely, that um, that uh, it's a our journey from fire to light. The journey from the fire of 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 our ego. To the light of, of of connection, reconnection with with spirit, and so I tested this for ten. Well, I guess yeah, it's been about ten, twelve years. Um, kind of an informal test with people. You know, when I say the words from fire to light, what does that mean to you? And within a minute, it would always come back that that's what it meant to people. Okay, it's something about you know my personal journey. And so um, then, uh, so then, over the last couple of years, it has evolved into a uh, a, a major project. The original screenplay uh, from Fire to Light did it have anything to do with a personal journey? Oh, it, it well certainly did. Um, it was it was written as the uh, it was written as the sequel to the movie Top Gun. Oh, okay. And I had been in aviation. I'd been in sport aviation and in uh, air show aviation. And I had I'd led a, led a really <laughs> great life, you know, going around the country flying airplanes at air shows and drinking a lot of beer with fighter pilots. They, wow. You know, it's not a bad life, really, you know. So, but, you know, kind of a, a lifestyle that uh, I had kind of all came to a screeching halt in 1991, I was diagnosed with cancer. Mm-hmm. I went immediately through a divorce, and I uh, went immediately through a bankruptcy. So within six months, I went through bankruptcy, cancer, and divorce. Oh my God! And so, um, and I was a guy who had advocated uh, uh, self-help. I had been a, a student of self-help since I was a very young boy and um there were many reasons for that we can get into those later but right so here i am at, at age 38 oh, whatever it was 38 um moved in i had never lived on my own i'd never i was married when i was 19 i didn't oh my know gosh <laughs> i didn't know how to do laundry now i know every woman in the audience is going to say what's well, about bloody time he learned but I didn't know how to cook for myself. I didn't know how to do laundry. And I was just out of radiation treatment, so I also couldn't, could barely move. I couldn't climb a flight of stairs without having to stop about three times up. I would just kind of go sheet white from the radiation fatigue. 
Oh, so, now I have to ask you a personal question. Just let me yeah. interject really quick right there. Did you, Was your marriage on the rocks before you had the cancer, and did your wife leave you because of the cancer, or was it time anyway? No. It, was, it wasn't on the rocks. We probably could have stayed great friends for the rest of our lives, but we weren't in love anymore. We okay. had we'd been teenagers, we'd grown up <laughs> and we had changed and and she had changed to one way and I had changed the other. And and it could have probably been all of that could have been molded back together again, but in the meantime, uh, she met someone that that okay. she uh, you know, fell in love with and and here I am and I said, "Well, you know, I said, well, you know, uh, listen, I don't know whether I'm going to make it or not, so I'm not going to tell you to stay because that's not, you know, to have you stay and then miss out on this opportunity would not feel right either. So that's what I did. And uh, and um, neither one of us have ever regretted that, But and we're still good friends to this day. But uh, so here I was in the west end of Vancouver in a little apartment, no money, no friends, no health, and having read every self-help book on the planet, and and I'm sitting there going, how the hell did I get here? Do you remember what your first book was? Yes, I do. I tell it as a joke in uh, my seminars. I say, and it's a true story. Uh-huh. I read my first self-help book when I was somewhere around eight or nine, maybe ten, and it was called How to Hypnotize yourself. And, I almost got that book. <laughs> and I said, well, it must have worked because I spent the next 30 years unhypnotizing myself. So, yeah. so you know, it's it's uh, I've been in, passionately interested in that ever, ever since that time. So the getting back to the screenplay from Fire Delight yeah. was about uh, uh, Stu Schmidt, a Navy pilot in the Blue Angels, um, uh, discovers he has cancer. At the, he's at the end of the tour, so he was finished with the Blues, anyways, because they only fly with the team for two years, and then they rotate out. And uh, he arrives home to find out his wife is in love with another man, and he finds out he has cancer all in the same time. And so he makes his way to Vancouver, which is where I live now, and he uh, finds his way to a little little airplane, sport airplane field. And, uh, of course, he's got this great big fighter pilot ego, uh, and like no one I know, right? And, uh, and uh, he he uh, finds this, um, and there's this guy on the field, a native Indian named Little Ego, who can always outfly him, can always do everything he was trained to do to the tune of millions of dollars, and uh, but this guy can always outfly him, and so that poses the question: like, how did you get so in tune? And that that starts the journey. That starts the opening of the journey. Now, do you think as a pilot, every pilot has a moment up there in the clouds where they feel in tune to God, consciousness, I am, spirit, creator? I think it's uh, it's certainly the place where I could go to get away from my own mind every once in a while. And so, yes, I think it, it does give a, a global perspective. You get just a little bit of a hint about what it looks like from God's view uh, uh-huh. over. You know, like I would go up after having a whole bunch of problems, and I'd go out, out to go for a little flight for the evening just to, you know, get some fresh air, burn off the burn off the stress of the day, and I'd be having a big problem, and I would take off, and then I would notice, you know, a whole bunch of houses below, right? Well, I would say, well, wait a minute. Every one of those probably, those guys probably have problems too, and yet, so I can see all of those problems, not just my own now, and so I do think it gives you that perspective. That is so interesting. I promised that I would um, tell everyone here how I knew that you had found your path and purpose. And the way that I know that is that when you come into your own and when you start to realize that um, you you belong to this greater consciousness, you want to share that with other people. 
and you want to do that in a in a new and creative way. And helping other people is to me one of the first signs that you belong, you know, that you belong to this greater consciousness. And fire from fire to light is such a incredibly imaginative and creative project. It's going, you know, from how you've described it to me, and I and I want you to describe it to everybody here. I certainly don't want to steal that thunder. Um, I am so excited about it. I can't wait for day one to start. I really can't. I think it's very, very cool. So let's 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 give them a hint, a hint of what what's to come. Um, from fire to light is, uh, and I have no idea why I've got a beep going on in here. In okay, well, you look at the beep. I'm just going to tell you guys, um, if you want to join the chat room and you're having problems, it may be that you didn't sign up as a listener at Blog Talk Radio. So you just go back a few steps. Sign up at blogtalkradio.com as a listener. gives you a little bit more functionality. Uh, sorry about that, Alan. And if you do want to call in and speak to Alan, again, it's 646 646- Five nine five three seven four one, and the the lines are open, so feel free. Okay. <laughs> uh, I found it. I just got. Uh, it's like well, I got the. Uh, now you got uh, call waiting too. <laughs> I got. Uh, I got some. I got more phones here. I'm I'm technically challenged right now. Hold on for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll be right back. While Alan is doing that, finding his his phone pager, and all those other things. That that's you know technology. I was just listening to Eckhart Tolle. Did, if, did you watch Eckhart Tolle and Oprah last night? What an absolutely brilliant production that was. But he just said that technology amplifies the egoic function and magnifies um, through science and technology. And it's going to be technology that will either be our downfall or it will be our savior. And I think that was you know, just so interesting to think about. Um, right. How did we get here? Okay, you're back. I am. I have okay. a wireless phone under under some a whole bunch of files here. Oh. Beeping. So there you go. Um, let's. Well, there's so much to this, but I'll try and I'll try and summarize it. Well, let's do the big Does plan, it, and, sure. and then we'll narrow it. Well, it it really starts that. I have been involved, I have done seminars and workshops across the country for many years, although I haven't done anything much in the last 10 years because I've been on the radio. And uh, I knew that that my profile was building and that I, my career was really, you know, starting to hit a critical mass in that I was, I'd had about 300, uh, 3.5 million people listen to one of my interviews. I'd done over 700 of them. I had... Uh, you know, I had, as you say, made um, personal friends with many of the thought leaders, that, the names we all know. And I also knew that I kind of had a grasp on, on on each of what they were talking about. I, you know, there hadn't been much surprise me for quite a while. And so I knew I was going to get back into speaking because it's my first love. It's it's an innate talent that I have. It's it's the thing that I could do all day long and not, and still and do it all night and then do it all the mm-hmm. next day again and not even think about it. So, um, but I heard Stephen Hawking, the famous physicist, say uh, here about a year ago, a year and a half ago, that. First of all, there's no guarantee that we are going to survive ourself, mm-hmm. ourselves. There's no guarantee. We wouldn't be the first tribe to have extinguished ourselves because we made a mistake and made a wrong choice at the Y in the road. And, and he said, but it's what we do in the next 10 to 20 years is what's going to make the difference in whether we survive or not. And I really believe that, took it to heart. And so I knew that a, that a transformation had to take place, that a natural evolution had to take place, that Einstein was correct. He's quoted so often, but I'm going to say it's slightly different, that we must rise in our natural evolution to the next level in order to see the solutions that will solve the problems we created at the last level. And 
so I knew that that and that's evident. People are frustrated all over the world, and we we know that that's true. Mm-hmm. But here's but the next thing that I noticed as I investigated this and I pondered this in my mind, and I I mean literally, this is walking around, bumping into trees for about six months, uh, thinking about this, investigating this deeply in my mind, because because. Everybody wants to change. Everybody wants to evolve, but how come we aren't? And then I realized that there are things that have injected themselves into our culture, into our conversation, and therefore into our minds, which have interrupted the natural evolution of ourselves, the human mind and human beings. And, And those things, those ideas, are so big and so powerful that they've actually caused, and we hear the term lots of times, a dumbing down, a dumbing down of society. Mm-hmm. And that we're not, and in some ways, we're getting way more intelligent than we have ever been, and in some ways, we seem to be getting dumber than we've ever been. So this is in the way. And so what I started to develop was seven ideas that that I knew from being involved in many different models of psychology and spirituality, that I really gleaned and combined and and synthesized many of the models that I knew and into seven ideas that we must embrace to have an elegant life. But you could also say an elegant world because mm-hmm. they go hand in hand. And so... Uh, so that's what from fire to light it is. from fire to light is it is seven ideas we must embrace to have an elegant life now the second thing that another thing that was frustrating me was what i call the uh self help book of the day club it's not even a week or a month anymore it seems like it's self help book of the day in other mm-hmm. words we've consuming so much self help that it's kind of like never have we had so much help and never have we been so helpless. Yeah, we're just paralyzed with it. We're paralyzed with it. And and so, uh, and there's an interesting thing about the ego, and Eckhart Tolle is going to be talking about that on this webinar that he's doing with Oprah. Uh, certainly he's going to be talking about this. I've been talking about this for years. Mm-hmm. I talked about this in my worthiness writings in the mid uh, 90s when I wrote a book called Worthiness, the Missing Link to Having It All, was that the ego mind can see, our egos, the unhealthy part of us can see when change is about to happen and actually can convince us to stop doing what we're doing and uh, and do something else. So in other words, just about the time that we would get the actual benefit mm-hmm. from the self-help book we're reading, we somehow convince ourselves to put that one down and start reading another one. Yeah. And therefore circumventing the actual help that we could have got, the real benefit. In other words, in other words, our society is going wide with its knowledge but not deep. It's not in integrating or embodying the uh, information that it's taking in. It's not really letting it soak into our bones, but it is um, it is just kind of skipping the stone across the water. God help us if we ever have a feeling. We actually have, you know, we'd rather, you know, smoke dope, take, drink booze till it's coming out of our ears, take Prozac till our, you know, till our nose turns. No kidding. Deep. No kidding. Instead of having an actual integrated and embodied feeling. And so um, so I committed to these seven ideas, and I committed to going around North America for, 70, for seven years to 70 cities. So the top 70 cities in North America I'm going to return to every year for seven years teaching all of these or explaining, you know, outlining mm-hmm. all of these ideas, but but highlighting one. And we're going to do that in a very interesting way. We're going to do it with a – it is a multimedia experience. It will have multiple 
big screen televisions. It'll have high definition sound and images. It'll have um, music. It'll have movie clips. It'll have lights and uh, a little bit of magic thrown in. There'll be and throughout this, I'm a act as the commentator and the host and the seminar speaker throughout this, and woven into this as well is a somewhat of a pageant, a little bit of a pageant that brings in the local people that live in that area. So it's it's a it's a different kind of 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 learning. It's a different mm-hmm. kind of edutainment, as a word that uh, Tony Robbins calls it. But even uh, and certainly he uses music and lots of guys music, use music. But I'm going to mute. I'm going to use um, all of the technology that I can employ to have an embodied and integrated evening around a particular idea. Isn't that fantastic? Don't you guys get excited by hearing this? Come on, in the window there in the chat room, tell me, are you excited? <laughs> Do you want to be the first people? You know, the, the city that he comes to. And I want to know what the seven, what the seven, um, what these seven ideas of learning are. But you're not sharing those yet. I haven't heard you mention sure. one. <laughs> no, well, I haven't. And but they're not secrets. Okay. And okay. They're not secrets. They're posted on the website. Oh, okay. And uh, we can talk about them. But the, yeah. the but the important thing is not the reason why I don't call these principles or laws like the law of attraction. Mm-hmm. First of all, I wouldn't be that presumptuous. But secondly, uh, these are, it's just hearing the words and you're going to, part of you is going to agree with this idea and part of you is going to disagree with each of these ideas. And, but it's not about that. It's about spending a year around this idea, understanding mm-hmm. the nuances and the flavors and the subtleties and the places where you react to it and learning how to move through that and clear that from your body, clear that from your consciousness. So that, because each one of these ideas steps on top of the other, then it, it's a ladder and, right. and it, it, it elevates your thinking uh, as you embody and integrate each of the ideas. I just so, want to mention, oh, sorry. So and then, so so the the event itself is is to really launch that idea and then we have a full year of the website where you're as a member you access uh, teleseminars you access books that are specific and you and pieces articles pieces of knowledge around that but I hasten to add that this is not going to be a website where you've got ten gazillion things available the the theme of From Fire to Light is less is more. And so um, uh, we are uh, to, you know, we are, we will be uh, coming at these ideas from several different angles, but we're not, it's not about having um, 67 books available on the subject. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, when these people walk away at the end of seven years, what do you hope they will have embodied, changed? What is what is it that you want them to do with this? Or what is the hope that you have from the experience that will happen? Well, the first thing, I don't want them. It's easy to answer what mm-hmm. I don't want them to do. Sure. First of all, we're not creating a church. Mm-hmm. We're not creating a movement or a cause. We're not. A, I'm not becoming the guru of gurus. Uh, what I will hope that people will have done is that they will have recaptured control of their minds and their lives, are able to counter any of the big ideas that come at them and the big energies that come at them, and are living uh, and living in then more purposefully and, and more creatively and more and happier. So, you know, lots of guys are out there doing that and 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 trying to do it in their own way. Mm-hmm. But I find that I find that the other thing that happens, Frankie, is this: that in in 
having access where you can go to the bookstore and you can just pick the books off the shelf, we often learn things in out of order. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, you know, that and it's great that you learn them. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm for for it all, so it's not about uh, it's not about saying you've made a mistake. But I'll give you a, the best example is I was having terrible trouble with my son, mm-hmm. and uh, and he just didn't like me, and he hadn't liked me for a long time. He would barely speak to me, and I you know, of course, hey, I'm Mister Self Help. I mean, you know, I'm Mister. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm what you know? What's not to like? I'm a wonderful person. Right. So I like I you. Said, thank you. Thank you. I like you, too. So I said to my friend Dennis, I said, well, my lifelong friend, I said, Dennis, Dennis, Larry just, he, you know, he wouldn't throw water on me if I was on fire. And um, I said, what am I doing wrong? I, I give him all this knowledge. I tell him about stuff. I try to help him out with his problems. And here's what my friend Dennis said, who kind of has more spirituality in his little finger than I have in my whole body and he said I think you're giving him answers to questions he hasn't even thought up yet oh that wouldn't be Dennis Waitley would it no okay but I know Dennis Waitley <laughs> Dennis Waitley's a good friend of mine uh, but, but because Dennis and I are both pilots right and, yeah. and so uh, I know him well but now has uh, your son always felt this way about you well, no, no. Now we're great friends, and we we were good friends as when he was a kid. But there was this okay. time that where it was really tough, right. and it is for a lot. You know that that part of that is just sons and fathers. But but the thing is, this is exactly what happens right now. We've got lots right. of people out there giving us advice, mm-hmm. and and often it's before we've even thought up the question. You know, it's funny you say that because my kids often say to me too, "You're a coach. How come you can't do something for me?" <laughs> Because you don't no, listen. Okay, you know, you're the smart, you know, big smart coach. How come you're not the one? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's pretty funny. It is pretty funny. But you're right. And you know, I think, you know, in, in um, a new earth, and right at the very beginning of the book, Eckhart Tolle says, you know, for those of you who read this and get awakened, great. For th- some of you, will read this and not have a shift because you're not there yet. And yes, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, and I saw him say that uh, on the first uh, webinar as well. And and yes, it's very. I caution that uh, that uh, that turns into a little. That can easily turn into the idea. Well, you know, you'll get it. You know, you know, you'll smarten up one of these days, and you'll you'll get it finally. I'm sure you will. And I would say it slightly differently. I would say that we are awakening every day. Mm-hmm. And it's whether we're doing it uh, as efficiently as we could, uh, or whether there's things in the way that we could move out of the way that would just allow that process to be less like giving yourself a root canal all the time. You had a, a life altering experience, and you wrote From Fire to Light. And I can't help but think of my own experience where I had a life-altering experience and my logo became a phoenix on fire. And and it's almost, you know, you, you have to shed who you were and get rid of all of those things that you thought that you, you were because you're not your car, you're not your job, you're not who, you know, all the people that you've interviewed. You're none of that. That's not who you are inside. That's not who Alan really is. No. And I'm not my health and I'm not my ill health either. Right. And that's very difficult for people to understand if they until they get there. <laughs> you know? Because we want to put labels on things. We want to say, um, oh, I'm a I'm a great writer, I'm an author or I'm a this and I'm a that. And it's you know, I was a drummer and I was on the dragon boat team and I you know, I did this and I did that and I this is a car that I drove and I identified with all of those things. But when you don't have those anymore and you're just the essence of you and you're the silent witness and you're the board of directors and you're all of those things you have to come up with you know who are you without labeling you and uh, we're very uncomfortable there's a line in the screenplay um 
as uh, Stu Schmidt is sitting in front of the uh, medical officer that's really giving him his discharge from the Navy. And he says, uh, Stu, he said, you know, the Cold War's over, and uh, there's not much going on anyways. And he said, uh, you know, it's amazing how uncomfortable men get when there's no enemy to fight. Mm. So, you know, if we don't have an enemy or something to bounce off of, you know, the thing about Eckhart Tolle's work is that it it is ultimately removing all of the references that we have to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And so I think his work is outstanding, as you do, I know. Mm-hmm. But I one of the reasons, and it, it, it's just absolutely coincidence that Oprah's having this big thing and and uh, that uh, he's uh, this he's risen to prominence with this book and all that kind of thing in regards to me because um, once you've heard the idea, that's when the that's when the work begins, right? And that's why seven years in seventy cities, going back each year to uh, nurture the next idea along, is because these aren't. These aren't until these are integrated and embodied into us. They're they're just interesting information, and so um, and that goes for Eckhart Tolle's book as well. It's uh, it's a wonderful book and it's it's spot on. I mean, I've been writing about the same things for a long time mm-hmm, as well. Mm-hmm. But until they're it's embodied, it's it's really just. It's just as interesting as a TV commercial. Right. Although I had a question, and I went to bed last night, and I had to get up, and I wrote it on the on the, on the the thing this morning, and I don't know if it even got there or not. But it was, if, if we are spiritual beings having a human experience, then how, why are we trying to raise our consciousness when, in fact, we're almost, it's almost a self-defeating because we came here to see, we came here to experience the range of emotions that human beings feel, and although some of us are numb, um, apparently, you know, on the other side, you don't have that because you're just so wonderfully happy. So, to to raise the consciousness and and, and to get to a, a place where um, we're living from our higher self, does it not defeat the purpose of coming here to have that human experience? Because we could be our higher self somewhere else. And I just throw yeah, it out the, there. I mean, it's a, yeah, you know. sure. The first thing I would say to that is this: is that um, we can embody everyone and all of these things in an instant, in a literally in the blink of an eye, in half of a heartbeat. But most people, including myself, couldn't handle it. Mm-hmm. We couldn't handle that much change all at once. That much, as it said in the movie Powder, she just went everywhere all at once. Hmm. We we couldn't do it. And we it takes um massaging the human mind in order to be ready for that kind of a change. Brett, you're in the chat room. I know that you've got lots to say on this topic because you are absolutely a brilliant writer um, about all sorts of things. So come on, give us some of your uh, your wisdom there, please. And any of you who have just joined us, you can give us a call. The, the lines are open, 646-595-3741. I do want to hear year one. What are we going to know? What are we going to learn about in From Fire to Light? Year one is, is, year one is pretty logical and uh it is really the thing that is happening right now with uh, Oprah is, um, and that is the idea. Year one is, uh, I am aware that I am aware, mm-hmm. and that is just exactly what you were just talking about. I mean, yes, um, uh, to learn what that is, and in in this year's. Um, um, three-hour presentation, we're going to go back through our own histories. We're going, to, we're going to figure out, we're going to talk about how we did get lost in the first place, what happened to us. We're going to, so that, that 
we have an understanding because people feel guilty about feeling guilty. <laughs> they feel guilty about getting lost. Well, you know, we need to have a, 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 a an understanding of that, and and then and then the evolution and kind of a, an explanation of all seven ideas, and then an elevation to the place of that. I am aware that I am aware. Mm-hmm. In other words, I am present. Mm-hmm. Right? And I, like everyone else, wish that I could spend more time per minute being present. I'm not talking about being present for hours on a, on a, at a time. I'm talking about being present for minutes on a time. I'd be happy with that. Oh, and you are. <laughs> you are. I'm just reading here in the chat room. He says, the cause of suffering is desire. Buddha said this. There's no desire on the other side, ergo no suffering on the other side. And I said, but there's a desire to come here. Um, er- and he said, ergo, um, you descend into a carnal existence to experience what is unavailable on the other side. Well, I would I would challenge that just a little bit. Um, yes, the cause of suffering, suffering is desire uh, for things. Mm-hmm. But the cause of suffering is not desire, because we as spiritual beings, we're just as the universe, we are interested in creation. And if we aren't creating, I mean, when are you the most happy, Frankie? And, oh, and when I'm creating everyone? something. Yeah. Absolutely. We are creative beings. And so um, I would say the suffering comes from our inability to create or our unwillingness to create. And our Not only are we creators, goal. we're goal seekers. Right, right. But goal seeking is a little bit of a challenge too because if you have a goal of making a million dollars this year mm-hmm. and you and you you earn nine hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and ninety nine cents yeah. uh you didn't you didn't make your goal. Mm. You didn't make your goal. So there's a spot of you that's disappointed. So it's more, I think, about uh, moving around, changing that around from goal-seeking to like what Eckhart was talking about in Webinar 1, which is where we uh, ask life what it wants, you know, what it has for us. Right, I love that. And then learning in the I am aware that I am aware, part of that is learning how to receive, being willing to receive, and being willing to actualize as we're receiving. Getting out of our own way is what an artist would say. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I have that question for you, too. What does life want from you, Alan? I have no doubt that life wants exactly what I'm doing. I have not a speck of doubt. I went on a 2,000-mile driveabout this last summer too, because I had this vision uh, a couple of years ago, and I it's been, you know, and I've had this massive argument going on in my head, and so I finally had to just go and get on the road and drive and drive and drive, and uh, and. I finally came to the conclusion, and the best way I can say it is, it's we're never we're told not to use a double negative in the mm-hmm. English language, but it's often the best way to describe something. I I came as I was driving home. I said out loud, "I just cannot not do this." Mm-hmm. Knowing what I know, seeing what I see, feeling. The, the importance of it and the significance of it, and that it's, it is my calling. It's been my calling since I was a young man. I just cannot not do this. You know, it's interesting that you and Neil Pert both went on 2,000-mile <laughs> journeys to find yourself, uh, you know, if you want to put it that way. Uh, maybe it's a trance state of driving around, and it all comes channels through, and it's clear. It's interesting. Well, I think you have to... Um, you know, we have always gone on journeys. For four million years, we've been going on journeys mm-hmm. to, to, um, to. Um, Mecca's. Either, mm-hmm. either one of, we are either doing one of two things, and I'm not sure which one. Maybe both. We're 
getting far enough ahead of the stale energy we've been hanging around in, or we're going, driving around to catch up to our soul that is already ahead of us, one or the other. I always get my best ideas when I'm driving. When I was riding my bike, I had even better ones, but... (laughs) We're not doing that anymore, but that's, yeah, I guess it's just a transcript of it. Yeah, you're a living example that two uh, bodies cannot occupy the same space at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Maybe. Uh, (laughs) Or or two wheels are better on the ground than not. (laughs) Well, you know, in the airplane business, we, you know, I used to say I, when we were coming in for a landing, that if, if I, you know, I would look up, and if I didn't like what I saw, I, I just closed my eyes. My uh, friend uh, Mike Kemp, in the, uh, he was in the submarine business in the U.S. Navy, and he said, you know, in the submarine business, you're you're hoping for an equal number of ups as downs, and um, so yeah, it's all relevant. It's all relative. So this is going to um, kick off in September from Fire to Light, is that correct? Yeah, September the 9th in Seattle, but we'll be doing a couple of uh, test ones in uh, Vancouver and I think Calgary as test runs, one of them on the, one of them at home where you can kind of get all the equipment going. And then the next one is kind of packing everything up and making sure it travels. Now, but, will you and be... then we go to... Uh, we go to these cities. We you, we start off only doing Tuesday evenings, uh-huh. and then we hop to Tuesdays and Thursdays with media in between. And then we do some on the East Coast. Once we get around the East Coast, we do Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. And then so we really go start at Vancouver. We go down to Seattle, and then out into the Wyoming and all that, and then down into California, and then across Texas and up into the Midlands. We but. And then over to Florida, and then up up the East Coast, and out to Halifax, and then back to uh, back to Vancouver by June, and then start all over again in September the next year for the next. In three it's gonna be like the Transformational Orchestra. I've seen you'll need an East and a West version. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, well, we're but the, doing it this way, it's a tour, you know. So yeah, we're only dri- yeah. ever driving a couple of hundred miles to the next place, so it gives us uh, and I. You know, I all of our offices uh, will be here in Vancouver, and uh, and I intend to come home after. I'm not. It's not that I'm, you know, I'm not going as a wandering um, minstrel for the next seven years. Well, um, okay. So the event, let's say the events in, in Calgary, is it televised and, and goes up on the internet, or will only one go up on on the nets per se, and uh, people will join that that class, or they yeah, can join it until it's come to their city. The DVD of of that year doesn't happen until the end of that year. Okay. Uh, the website, though, anyone can join the website at any time and get the, uh, you know, uh, certainly audio and and uh, teleseminars and all that kind of thing around it. So there's it doesn't matter when you join or when you take the event itself, but really we want people in the room. It's like the difference between watching a sporting event on television. Mm-hmm. Great commentary, you know, more information, but you can't replace the feeling that you have when you're at the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had a client once, and, and you know, I said, where do you feel that? And he said, let me call you back. Two hours later, he calls me back. He goes, I don't have feelings. <laughs> <laughs> Are we that numb? Honestly, and he believed that. And are we that numb that we don't have feelings? And I often will ask people, where do you feel that in your body? Because we are this, you know, amazing bioprocessor. That's what our bodies are. And, in you know, in nanoseconds, it, you know, it, it, this information is processed. And I think we do feel things around our body, whether it's, you know, in the chakra areas or whatever it is. But there, there's messages to these feelings that we have that, that go around our bodies. And we don't pay attention. Well, there's there's so much that has been uh, that has caused that. For instance, you know, I came to the conclusion that the capitalist system that has, and, it, and by the way, that is one of the big ideas that has 
has wedged our way into our consciousness that says that you know the capitalist system is the answer to everything. If everybody just had a job, we'd all be happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if the, everybody just had money, but what happens, for instance, in in capitalism, and I have no problem with capitalism. I I'd rather live in that system and work in that system than other systems, but it isn't. But it's like anything right now. It's run away with itself. It's we what we have is unbridled capitalism, and the unintended byproduct of of ca- the capitalist system, the unintended residue of watching television every night and your your need sensors in your mind being ignited with, oh, I'd like to have that car. Oh, I'd like to have that dress. Oh, I'd like to have that perfume. Oh, I'd like to have that bottle of scotch. The, the unintended residue byproduct of the capitalist system is a low-grade franticness. Mm. That, per, that has pervaded our society. Everyone is running around in kind of what they called in the Cold War a term, a time of a quiet desperation, mm-hmm. and and the un, and the result of that franticness is that it burns out our circuits. We don't have time to think, we don't have time to feel, and we don't have time to think about how we feel. And so, um, so the the guy's probably correct. Uh, yeah, he doesn't have any feelings. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right about out. that. Yeah, I think you're right about that. And also, we live in fear, and so that fear, you know, every second you feel, oh, you're not going to lose my job. Oh, there goes, there goes the adrenaline. There goes the cortisol. There goes, you know, more and more. Yeah, well, and more there's, your body. there's all re- absolutely true. There's all kinds of reasons for it and biochemical uh, reasons we can certainly mm-hmm. get that kind of analysis from any good dr weil or any of the other fine doctors out there that are talking about this kind of thing but but the the uh but the thing is that if we had the mind to be aware of this see here's the deal another part of that is then in work we have um we have another idea that's injected itself into our culture, and that is every period, whether it's every hour, every week, every month, or whatever, that your manager, wherever you work, comes to you and says, you must do more, mm-hmm. you must do it with less, and you must do it faster. Right. Uh, and Right. That's that's the we you know we got the Chinese coming, we got the Vietnamese coming, we got the Indians coming. We've got the you must do more, you must do it with less, and you must do it faster. Okay, so being the good employees that we are, good workers that mm-hmm. we are, we do. We come we do through. It. We do. We we work harder. We you know do it with less resources. We do it faster, and then we go. Hey, boss, I did it. And so he goes great, or she goes great. And do it again. The, ne- the next period, <laughs> they come back and say, "You must do more. You must do it with less. Yeah. And you must do it faster." Now, here's the thing, Frankie. Any uh, organic being, any sentient being that that was awake, would realize that the that the natural result of that idea is death by exhaustion. Yes. That there would that there is no end to that and that all I'm going to do is work myself to death and actually people do as you know. Mhm. So if we had the mind we would say no. So some of the antidote to the idea that we we cover in these seven ideas, our ideas are are really antidotes to the to those kind of thinkings. Whether it is the political mind that has taken us over in the last two, you know, there's been guys running for presidents for the last three years for the president of the United States. The political mm-hmm. mind has 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 taken over television. It has taken us over. The capitalist mind. We must do more with less and we must do it faster, has swept over us. The entertainment mind has all of our 
young men, our young warriors, men that should be preparing themselves to go out and to fight the good fight for good causes. I'm not saying go to war. I'm talking about all of the causes that there are out there that will need to be fixed. All of our young men are in their rooms playing video games for 14 or 16 hours a day. The entertainment mind has swept over us. And the antith- you know, this Warcraft is, is scary. These these games are very scary to me, and it, they're changing people's personalities. And I don't understand why why they're. Well, it's a well, it's a it, it's an addiction. Uh, the uh, it is the, an addiction. Uh, the video games, uh, they actually the the pro. And I'm not a conspiratist. And I'm not against any of these people, and I'm not in, I'm not at war with any of them. I'm not coming at it from their wrong. Right. I'm coming at it from we need to evolve ourselves so that we have antidotes to these things, so that we can enjoy the video game for the appropriate amount of time. Mm-hmm. We can enjoy our work for the appropriate amount of time. We can create in our lives for the appropriate amount of time. That, that that brings us joy. I'm, that's what I'm about. So I'm not about being making anybody wrong, but um, but you know the in some of the video games they've discovered that the guys are actually writing in things into the game that cause the adrenaline uh, receptors to fire, mm. so that it'll be it's like it literally is the same as taking a shot of heroin. Wow. Wow. You know, it's interesting. It's not just here, though. There's um, my, my friend, Ruth James, who, who runs Aim for Cha- um, the Aim for Change charity in Uganda. You know, she, she was telling me the story about a woman. She's 100 years old, and she's still working in the brick factory to pay off the debt of living, of her family, you know, living in, 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 in where they lived, in their home. At 100 years old, the debt has never been paid, and right. she's still working. How awful is that? Well, somebody, uh, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. And so, how awful is that? The, so, the, where the, our natural compassion, our natural charity, somewhere uh, we have that's been burned out of our system. So, the, you know, someone doesn't sit down and go, wait a minute, this person's been working for fifty, sixty years. Let's give her a break. I know. I know, so, and, and 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 so at the you know when these people like what is Eckhart doing with I mean they said yesterday that the book is unprecedented in its sales, and and I don't know I mean it's, it's his business what he does with his money I guess but I would hope that that there's going to be money given to charity or thoughts of it. Oh, I don't think he I don't think he gives I'm sure he gives it all away. <laughs> I don't think yeah. he cares one iota for it yeah. for it. You know, uh, but, I hope so. No, no, but it's not. What he's about at all? I mean, no, I know, sure. I know. But it, it was just you know the thought that I had that there's just so much, so much of it that that um, we could help everybody on the planet. I'm sure. If idea number two. Idea number two is, and this is really what I was talking about: is that I'm not for or I'm not against anyone mm-hmm. or anything. Everything is true. Everything is true. That's idea number two. Nice. Everything is true. Now, it's great when you talk about it as a philosophical statement, but um, the minute that something comes at you that you don't think is true, it's no longer mm-hmm. a philosophical statement. Oh, I know, I know. And it's a hard concept. We we talk about it a lot in coaching. It's a hard concept for clients to understand that truth. Well, and here's the interesting thing, Frankie, that is really so something that I discovered. I was writing a book uh, two years ago called, uh, actually three years ago, called Finding the Elegant Solution in Any Situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, none of these books are out, by the way. And, and it's interesting. I I pulled back from actually publishing them, and I never knew why. Mm-hmm. But what, what had occurred to me when I finally integrated and embodied all of this is that this has been shaping up for some time that I actually wasn't writing one book. I was writing seven. Oh. And, that, and so in uh, yeah, finding the elegant solution in any situation is really about inclusionism. And here's what I discovered. No, two minutes. 
say it quickly. <laughs> Nowhere in anywhere in our society does anyone ever really ever teach us what true inclusionism is. Nobody's okay. interested in teaching us. The churches aren't interested. The businesses aren't interested. Right. Our employers aren't interested. Our parents aren't interested. They're trying to keep us alive. They're telling us what not to do more than we're telling us what to do or what to allow. You've been so, listening to uh, Alan Hunkin. I just want to get that in before we go because it will continue to, to roll. But thank you very much for joining us this evening. Any and all of you who have come here, uh, we appreciate you. We love you very much. I guess we'll thank have to you. do part two, Frankie. Yeah, you're going to come back? Of course. Oh, beautiful. Good, good. Thank you so much, Alan. For, for joining, and I didn't mean to block you off there at at the end there, but uh, yeah, part two. Listen, wait. I mean, you go. <laughs> You're on the edge of your seats out there, aren't you? I know you are. I know you are. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks again, and Alan, thank you for joining me. Oh, my deep honor. Thank you. Oh, thank you, and we'll have you back very very soon. You just let me know when your schedule allows for it. And I'm going to hang up, and you're going to hang up because we're still recording, and I will talk to you in a little bit. How's that? Yeah. Um, uh, send me your, your number. I'll call you. Okay. Thanks. thanks. Bye-bye. Introducing Finally, a new energy-efficient light bulb that reveals beauty in your home. Colors are true and natural, never washed out. It'd be extraordinary <clears throat> if you could see this light. But this is radio. What a pity. A light this stunning deserves better. I deserve better. <sighs> Finally, you'll love your light. Maybe a little too much. Available at Costco.